Hi, this is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds. And I'm Carly Malcolm, lead for North Carolina Fellow for Guilford County from the UNC School of Government. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. Have you ever lost a loved one and had to figure out what to do? Have you ever felt alone and overwhelmed? Did it make you wonder why on earth this is all so complicated? In this podcast series, we bring together community partners to talk unapologetically about issues of death and dying. We answer questions about funerals, hospice, estates, and more to give our listeners the knowledge they need to make decisions for themselves and their loved ones. We want everyone in Guilford County to know that they're supported, that we live in a community where we cannot only live and live well, but when we die, we can also die well because we care. So we thank you for joining us for the Good Grief Podcast and for taking this step to be better prepared for end-of-life challenges. This is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds with Carly Malcolm, who is the NC Lead Fellow with the UNC Institute of Government, uh, who's here. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. Today we have Al Limeberry Jr., uh, Chair Emeritus of Haynes Limeberry Funeral Homes. Haynes Limeberry has been a staple within the Greensboro community and traces its lineage back a long way um, from Haynes Funeral Home that opened in, I think, 1919 and celebrated its 100th birthday last year to the services that they're offering today. Al is a graduate of both Wake Forest and Wingate, and he's been involved with any number of community leadership roles in Greensboro. He's been former chairman of the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce, chair of the Greensboro Merchants Association, been a part of the Community Foundation. And Al, there's just there's just too many things. <laughs> but we really appreciate what you do in the city of Greensboro and also uh, what you do for uh, families that are that are going through tough times. And so on this podcast, we like to unapologetically talk about the issues that deal with death and dying and end of life issues. So thank you for being with with us. Moder, thank you for inviting me. OK, can you talk to us and describe your background? I know that's a big question, <laughs> oh, you know, how you grew up and how you led into the role that you've had here in both in Greensboro and in the, in the business. Well, I grew up in Greensboro and went to uh, Lindley Elementary School, Kaiser Middle School, and Grimsley High School. From there, I uh, went to Wingate University and Wake Forest University and got, got a business degree from there. I was looking for some work. Of course, having grown up in my father's world, uh, he was kind of a, a go-to. And so I started working with him about uh, 1968. And then... Actually, he does not encourage me or discourage me from coming into the business. I actually got more of a, an idea what work he was doing, actually, for my grandmother's funeral, uh, which was when I was 16. Your dad, was he a part of the original purchase of it becoming Haynes Limeberry? Well, he, and... he bought uh, the controlling shares in 1955. Okay, in 55. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, so, I mean, I was in elementary school at the time. Was that when your grandmother passed away? Well, you six, were 16. We're 16. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't pay attention to what he did. I mean, he was just gone from the house, growing a business and staying active in, in his work. And then my grandmother had been dying for seven years in, uh, in a nursing home. I just remember seeing her in the casket. She was like 15 years younger and really like I knew her growing up. 
it started me thinking differently about this kind of work. I I love the idea of law, but I didn't like the idea of going back to school a lot more. So that's kind of how I wound up with that. Was that one of the one of the first times you experienced death in a close way within your family? Or was well, as a family member, you have, yeah. you have your animals and uh, uh, die, and yeah, you know that that can be pretty traumatic. But that's that's the first real family member that I can remember that. Made a heavy impression on things. How important it turns out to be, and how important it is for us to confront death face to face and seeing the person who has died that they have died. It's the same person mm-hmm. instead of being a myth out there. Mm-hmm. So, what do you remember about growing up with a father that managed a, a funeral home? Um, did that affect your perception of death at all, do you think? I don't think so. I, I think that. Um, my perception grew. I mean, I had the same issues that most every other child does with uh, the scary part of of death, you know, uh, ghosts and goblins on TV. And I was not immune to that, mm-hmm. but I never thought about it. And, you know, my friends would say, your dad does what? And that they'd look at me cross-eyed a little bit. And, <laughs> but that was, you know, it wasn't really overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. So then how did you go from there to wanting to become a funeral director? Uh, <laughs> as I said earlier, I really wanted to go to law school, and I just I had, had had it up full up to my neck with education. And I just asked Dad one day, I said, you know, I need to get, get out of your house and start my own life. And uh, he said, well, you can start at the very bottom like everybody else does. And uh, he paid me $100 a month less than Uncle Sam was going to pay me to go into the military. So, anyway, but it turned out to be all right, a good decision. <laughs> so, when you went from the the bottom, you know, on through the organization, what did that mean? Were you what were some of the responsibilities that you had my, when you started? My first memory was washing the walls down a corridor where we had a ramp, uh-huh. and uh, you know, washing cars, putting up tents. I never dug a grave, but came close and helped. I never became an embalmer. Now I can explain all that a little bit later. Yeah. But uh, uh, funeral service, funeral directing seemed to be where I was direct, being directed. And you would serve an apprenticeship under uh, a licensed person and learn what legal things we have to go through and then learn to listen to what people are telling you, what you're hearing. And you're uh, a counselor. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, other than that apprenticeship, what education requirements are there for becoming a funeral director? Uh, well, there's a year apprenticeship and then two years of, of mortuary school. Okay. And that's 24 months. And then you take a national exam and a state law exam to become licensed. Hmm. And what kinds of things do you learn in mortuary school? Um, but what they learn an awful lot about is science, mm-hmm. our bodies. And then um, disease and what we need to be prepared for at certain times and um, the preservation and sanitization of, of bodies. Yeah. When you have, uh, you know, potential clients, people come uh, to see you, you know, what are what are the realities in a lot of cases that they're dealing with and how do you, you know, within, your, within the funeral services realms help them uh, navigate that? We ask open-ended questions a lot of times to get their 
lines going. Uh, prime, the first part is we need to get biographical information that we have to use for legal documentation as being social security or cremation rules or burial rules. Um, many people today are prearranging their funerals. And um, the good thing about that is they're not having to make pretty traumatic decisions right at the time of death. We already, we already discussed that. Uh, and a lot of people come to us when they know that their loved one is kind of reaching those final uh, weeks and months. Uh, I think we've got a, we have quite a few prearrangements that are over 12 years old. So I mean, it's, it's, a smart, it's a really smart thing to do. Yeah. We went over and spent some time with you about a year ago. And I'm wondering if you made the comment about there are approximately 152 things you have to do around the time of death. Yeah, dad, dad Does that sound? Yeah, dad, dad okay, yeah. that. Uh, I don't even know why he did it. It was about, about six, 1966. He said, son, I never thought about this, but I listed everything that we do. Yeah. It was, 100, yeah. It was 157, actually. And he wrote a little pamphlet. I've not, not been able to find it. Yeah, and that's and that's part of the reason why we're doing the podcast is one part of of this is you know for us it's at the registry it's, it's web based resources and connections to uh, people and organizations and the bureaucracy around death and dying that people can can understand and I remembered that because you know we don't in a lot of cases like to talk about death and dying and, and certainly planning for it. There's certain folks that do pre-plan for it and, and a lot that don't. And there's a lot of reasons why they don't. Some of it is stigma. Some of it is just you don't never think you're going to have to deal with it. And then it's right in front of you. But when it is, there's a lot to do, you know. Well, and it's under under some sort of a duress. Uh, our brains are, are in that grief mode. And a lot of it, uh, and I, I'm one of those persons that went through a death that, I don't remember four days after my daughter died. I just don't. And I, everything went fine, you know, the service and everything. But you just get blank sometimes, especially when it's really unplanned for. And uh, you just have an incredible support system around that you need to. Yeah. And we did um, we did a podcast with Kids Path locally. Mm-hmm. And, and part of the discussion was around, you know, children who are terminally ill and also children that are dealing with the terminal illness of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is a kind of trauma that, that a lot of times we can't imagine, but is there. And, and in, in many situations when people are losing their loved ones, they're balancing, as you know, um, the loss with, okay, where does the body go? Or, you know, what funeral home are we going to use? Or, mm-hmm these bills that are there that we have to pay. And why do we need so many death certificates, right? All right, yeah. all right. And by the way, uh, Guilford County is going to be a, uh, a pilot county on electronic death certificates. So looking forward uh, to next week's learning experience. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so that's something that's, that's happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, North Carolina general statutes that deal with funeral homes. Tell us about that. Uh, how are funeral homes either... Supported, regulated, guided, and statutes. Uh, the first uh, regulations that I'm aware of started in 1901, and it was based primarily on embalming, which was actually invented by medical doctors for re- so they could do research for a longer period of time back in the four- mid-1400s. 
Uh, then the Civil War came, and they needed to transport people who were killed back to their homes. And so there were not enough surgeons or medical people to do all the bombings. So they started training these other folks. And so in 1901, they decided to license them. And, and, and over the years, um, the decades have changed the rules in funeral directing. And embalming became under one roof, if you will, probably in the 60s. And it's uh, advanced uh, as we've gone into cremation. It's uh, all part of Section 13A. Uh, it, I brought my little book with me. It's pretty long and detailed. Yeah. But it goes through, through the licensure, the training, the uh, apprenticeship program, and the files you have to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And more people are choosing cremation these days, right? Seem to than, be. Yeah. Uh, it's about, uh, I would say, a little over 50% in Guilford County. And when I started some years ago, it was zero. So it's just changed quite a bit it's changed in my a lifetime. Lot. Yeah. yeah. So when, when folks are pre-planning and, and trying to figure out cost factors, uh-huh. can you tell us a little bit about how y'all are guided around all that? And Well, the first first thing you need to determine is, is what the family's thoughts are. Do you want to have a burial or do you want to have the person cremated? There's, the object of a funeral is take care of somebody who's died in some systematic way. And uh, we human beings have designed funeral service, which is another reason. I'm giving you too much history on this. <laughs> but there were no funeral directors in the eighteen mid-1800s. There were h- hardware dealers, furniture dealers, and they kept being asked to do something else in regard to a service. So they started undertaking tasks. Eventually, the word undertaker became the word before funeral directors. So that's we undertaking stuff. Yeah. So anyway. I'm not sure what that went with that question, Jeff. Uh, well, the, just the, the cost factors that, that go on that people have to consider in it. And well, you know, it, it's yeah, first of all, I don't think cost is not up there on the top rung. Hmm. It's what are we going to do? How do we want to look after our loved one? It turns out there's less person power uh, in a cremation service than there is in a traditional funeral. So there's that's going to affect your cost basis there. It's not, uh, we were providing the same type of service from the governmental standpoint, trying to get all the records together. Uh, cremation has a lot more, uh, paperwork to it than does a regular burial. Really? Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's really governed by the state of North Carolina, cremation is. And, uh, the, the less manpower, person power we have to use, you know, that affects the bottom line of the cost. Mm-hmm. And uh, state audit funerals? Well, the pre-need program is audited very strongly in March of each year. Uh, we don't have a, we, we have regulators that come in and, and visit our funeral homes and inspect them, but uh, not. I don't know what you mean by audit. We don't have a you don't financial have like a audit, financial auditor, or anything like that. No. So you spoke earlier about embalming. Um, could you talk about the education that goes into that and why you ultimately didn't choose to become an embalmer? Uh, I, I didn't want to become an embalmer because they won't go back to school. <laughs> you didn't want to go uh, to school. Yeah. Uh, and we had, at that time, uh, enough folks to really look after our, our, our client families. And I, uh, being a business background, I got more involved in the business side of it and then into the social side of it, of uh, helping families in their despair. The embalming is, is pretty much the same rules as, as far as you got to go to a mortuary school for two years, go to an apprenticeship program for a year, 
and then uh, take the exams. But the the funeral director does not have to take a national exam. They have to take a state exam about the laws that govern our profession. You all are, in terms of, of your business, have been, and you have, have been really involved in the Greensboro community over the years. Can you talk about some of the things that y'all have done and been a part of and or you have? Dad was a, a role model for me, and he, yeah. he was incredibly active in everything he ever did. Uh, he state, was he in the state senate or house? House. State house. State okay. house for three terms. Uh, <laughs> and that's another reason I'm not <laughs> running for public office. <laughs> not running for public office. That's maybe a good thing. Yeah. But, um, but he, he set a mark really high. And I just thought that was the way you're supposed to live. The community's getting given to you. You give back to the community the best you can. It's not necessarily a financial give back, but at least it's blood, sweat, and tears sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important that we help each other survive mm-hmm. the best we can. So that's kind of where that comes from. And most most of our family does the same thing still. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned the, that, that you lost your daughter. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and what happened and, well, she, and what you went through? Yeah, she had a disease which is called osteonecrosis, which is the dying of the joints. And I always thought joints was a knee replacement or a hip replacement or something like that. But we're talking about joints, little fingers, little toes, big toes. Every joint in your body that has a joint was dying and just about died, which is excruciatingly hard on, of pain. And so How old was she? She was 37 when she died. 37. And it was a heart attack, but it was caused more from the medicines she was taking that uh, created a linear uh, blood clot. And uh, we, Jenny and I just were going to see her for lunch after church one Sunday, and mm. just found her that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's traumatic. Yeah. And so you, you actually you know, have a family that has been a part of the funeral services industry for your lifetime and to to have a personal experience like that in your family, um, I think probably informs what you do in an incredibly personal way. Um, well, I, I, it, it has. I mean, it makes me look back and say, hey, what we do really is important for people. And if we can do the right things and work the right way, you're helping people get over a crisis. And Kubler-Ross wrote the book where there's four stages of, of grief and five stages of grief. And there's a sixth one that just came on about three years ago who helped her write the book. I'm not going to go into that. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, you know, the, the cycle of grieving uh, is the cycle of middle schoolers in their growing up process. It's the same things we go through. Mm. And uh, our lives get accustomed to these cycles, but we've never put a name to them and identify them like Dr. Cooper Ross did. And I had the pleasure of studying under her at, at North, North American University. Mm. And we can add a link in all that to, yeah. to that. Um, yeah, well, it's good, yeah. American, yeah. American way of dying. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate that you're part of this community. And if, uh, if folks want to learn more about the services you offer and everything, how would they do that? Our office phone number is 336-272-5157. Or they can go to our website, 
which is HaynesLineberryFuneralHomes.com, and get additional information. All right. Well, thank you very much for being with us, uh, Al. On behalf of uh, Carly and myself, thank you for being a part of the Good Greek Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Carly, good to see you. Best of success in your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Grief Podcast. We want your feedback. You can visit our website at www.guilforddeeds.com. You can also email us at endoflife at guilfordcountync.gov or find us on Twitter with the handle at guilford underscore ROD. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and until next time, take care.